And it's not like I'm saying it's okay. It didn't matter. I'm saying, no, I'm just going to be done with this defining my life. And that act of forgiveness, and you need God's strength to do that. You can lean fully on God to do that because God has taken care of all of it on the cross. Yeah. Christ fellers, that's what we would say. And so forgiveness is more like bolt cutters than it is like anything else. Break the chain of whatever has tied you to that situation, including the despondency. Yeah, Matt, did you know that our uh, listenership, our downloads have almost doubled in the last three months? Wait, seriously? Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of good things that people are, are real appreciative about this. And we, we want to thank all of our patrons for their support on Patreon. There's no way that we could be heading into our third year without support. And that means financial support for something like this. Yes, and the people have been so generous. Yeah, yeah. I love the community that seems to be started. And my goal is that we would just be equipping people in every facet of their lives in order to live more meaningfully. You also get some cool swag and gear when you support us too, right? Sweatshirts, all kinds of things that you can look at at patreon.com, search the shepherd and the shrink. We also have exclusive videos of these podcasts that people like to watch and, um, and then other perks and treats. Love it. All about the bling. But basically you go to patreon.com and type in fully our name, the shepherd and the shrink. That's right. And thanks again, all. Thanks so much, you guys. It's going to be an amazing year. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Hey, Matt. <laughs> you think by now we could get this right. I can't even say hello. Go ahead. Hey, good afternoon, Matt. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you after that? Rona. You had the vids. I got the Rona. I got coronavirus. I'm much, much, much better. I felt lousy, but it was like a bad cold. I never lost my sense of taste. Okay. I took two home tests that came back positive. But after a couple of days, I took the test that took 24 hours and that came back and, and showed it that it was positive. Did you get chills and headache? I didn't have so much chills a little bit. And mm-hmm. I felt like I had headache. By the time I did take my temperature, it was normal. So, yeah. So, so a couple bad days and then just all recovery? A few bad days. More than just a couple for me. But okay. I think I'm just a wuss. No, it affects people differently, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I just laid real low and did emails and a few Zoom calls and took some extra naps. And here was my big learning. You know what? The world can go on without me doing all the stuff that I think I have to do. That was kind of a, a oh, really, little bit. Yeah. Feeling a lot of pressure at times that, that you've got so much that's critical. I put that on myself probably, and I want to do really well. And I, I high energy and I want to have influence and impact when I can, but it was really good. It reminded me of this old calligraphy thing that these ladies made me in my first church when I was the youth minister. It was a calligraphy that said, dear Matt, I can do it myself. Love God. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if I don't do this, mm-hmm. I got it. Nothing yeah. good will happen. And so that was a really, really healthy reminder for me. 
Yeah. That there's lots of capable people around who can cover stuff, not just cover it, but do it well. Yeah, right on. I, I love being irrelevant, though. <laughs> Disposable. Disposable. Yeah, I'm irrelevant in a whole lot of ways, uh-huh. but none of us are completely disposable. So uh, the topic today, mm-hmm. despondency. You used a word that we don't use today, but I think, boy, does it connect mm-hmm. with where a lot of people may find themselves. Despondency. Yeah. There's so oh. many D words that start despair, uh-huh. dysfunction, yeah, despondency, depression. They all start yeah. with the letter D. What's with that? I don't know. I've never noticed that before. That's a good observation. I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean when you talk about despondency? Okay, so it's all. It's sometimes called acedia, A C E D I A, and it's it's complicated. Like the reason I got interested in this is because I used to have a lot of joy, you know. And if I didn't have it, I knew how to get it. And so I was like, I said, hey, I got this thing figured out. Then when Kathy got the cancer. And then um, my dad was dying of cancer. So I was seeing lots of illness and slowly that joy was hard for me to come back to. And I knew that it was a spiritual issue. I knew it because I felt it because I know what it feels like before. So I didn't have a concept for it. So that's when I discovered the writings in acedia or despondency because it's not depression. Okay. What it is, is a sense of joylessness, you know, in, in, in prayer, in life. It's sort of the reverse of joy. Uh, it can involve anxiety and boredom, frustration, irritability, anger. And then we, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about it and then get into the causes and talk about how it affects relationships. And then also, you know, because we know quite a, a bit about it, the early church fathers, Evagrius is one guy I've been reading. He was an early in the, uh, I think he was fourth century mm-hmm. uh, desert father. And he, he had a lot to say about it if, if yeah. people are interested in that. Yeah. Oh, what do you yeah. what do you think about the topic? Like, and how has it affected you? Does it affect you? It does. And I had a huge breakthrough almost 20 years ago when I picked up a book and worked through it. And the book was called Healing for Damaged Emotions. Mm-hmm. And it's written by David Siemens. And I can't recommend it highly enough. The workbook, especially because they give you room to write or journal or they ask questions. It's really good pedagogy okay. in, in taking his book and making it interactive. And it's this idea that there are certain people that can't be healed in their lives by normal things like prayer, worship, Bible study, positive thinking. And a lot of it ties back into like a tree when there's a a stump and you can see the rings of the tree, good years and bad years and a lot of things happen to us when we're children or when we're youth or, or young adults. And we're very aware of it like sponges, but it doesn't mean we always interpret things right. And, and he opens in the introduction talking about somewhere between our sins on the one hand and our sicknesses on the other lies an area in the human psyche called our infirmities. And how do we get to our infirmities, which are somewhere between our sin on one hand and our sickness on the other? And how can we open ourselves up for the healing touch of God in those areas? The closest thing to despondency, I would say, that that really takes it apart. And it can lead to a deep sense of unworthiness. Uh These damaged emotions can lead to perfectionist complexes. In other words, like, I can never quite 
achieve what I need to achieve. It can lead to us being filled with fears. And if I am so fearful, I'll never get in the game of life. I'll just distance myself. I'll just spectate kind of thing. Yeah, that does sound like despondency because despondency or acedia has a couple of qualities to it. It is a dislike of what I have, right? So, and that can show up in sadness or um, even anger, right? Or boredom is like that, which is a disgust emotion. Like, I got to get out of here kind of thing. Um, It's also a longing for what I do not have has those characteristics, right? So, you know, gratitude would be a part of that. Like, I don't feel the gratitude. I'm not, you know, even if I want to or think I'm supposed to, and I'm um, angry or sad, and I'm also longing for the things that are in my imagination. And it's rooted in self-love, according to Evagrius, right? And we think, well, you got to love yourself. Mm, You know, I don't know what you mean by that. It depends on what you mean by that, right? Because being self-centered and just yielding to the passions, you know, more and more and more, um, that's not uh, good for you. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. And it shows up in like every area of our life. I was thinking about it. This despondency shows up and impacts my relationships. It impacts how I think about work. I made my list. It hits my spiritual life. It hits my finances, the physical well-being. It hits my ideas of education, relaxation, and fun, everything related around sex and family. And um, this despondency, this response to things that have happened to us, to things that are going on internally because of what's happened to us, and it, it hits every area of our lives. We're distracted in our relationships, work. We never think we can measure up or it just is this humongous chore. We lose any kind of joy like you're talking about. Our physical well-being is hugely affected by that. Some of us try to outwork it and we get into working out so much so, which is a really good thing. But for other people, it literally impacts their health. And in terms of finances, some of us run away from that. Some of us dive into it because we think that's somehow going to cure us. And we spend so much of our time dealing with this sickness, this illness, this fear of failure, this we're hypersensitive. I'm a perfectionist. I'm never going to quite be enough. And a lot of times it has to do with damaged emotions. Like I can never please my dad enough, or I can never be loved by my mom enough as we're children growing up. And we get this deep sense of unworthiness that leads to despondency or cedia. All of those things that you mentioned, I've experienced. Really? Oh, sure. Everybody probably has at some point when you grow up, but because we're very self-centered, all of those are self-centered concerns, Mm -hmm. but your attention is going in word, not outward. And what love is, is when we're, we're focused on others. Yeah. I like to ask people that, can you feel love by having someone love you? Like, is that the feeling you're getting? Like you can feel grateful or something like that, but that love feeling that we know, you know, that, 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 that super trust and joy that you get, I think we feel it by doing it. Yeah. It's an outward. Yeah. Not receiving it because somebody could do it privately. They could be like loving me or having a moment of that privately. And I wouldn't even know it, but if I could feel it, I'd feel it. Now, if I, if I have that for them, then I will feel that. Yeah. Yeah. It takes it to a whole nother level of awareness because it's Uh, not about us. It's not about us. Yeah. And, And when it is about us, guess what? That list that you have, that happens. You know, when we're about us, the self-conscious emotions, we talk about this a lot on the show. They, they're not fun. 
the shame of like, do I measure up or the guilt or I didn't do this? I spent too much money or, you know, the anxiety of like, am I going to be safe? Is someone going to reject me? That's all self-conscious behavior and uh, it's causes suffering. And our society's response to all these problems is to look within yourself. Yeah, right. Just follow your heart, which means you're completely staring at yourself. You constantly are taking your own pulse of how do I feel about this? How do I feel about that? What's my identity in this? What's my identity in that? How do I relate to this? And it's all me, me, my, my, mine, mine. And we get sick of ourselves. And if we don't know that there's something greater out there for us to be a part of, we completely miss out. For sure. For sure. And besides, I think identities are kind of negotiated anyway, or at least I'm not transparent to myself. I'll say that. If you were to ask me, are you any good on guitar? What does that even mean? I mean, that's for other people to say. Does that mean, uh, will everybody recognize my brilliance because I think that I'm brilliant or whatever? And we are a very, very narcissistic culture. Hey, you had a good video playing your huh? guitar with Griff. That oh, was yeah, really yeah. Cool. Yeah, Love he's got that. a good voice, man. He doesn't have a lot of confidence in that. Yeah, thanks. Mm -hmm. Well, here's what I love about you bringing up this topic. There is a biblical approach to this. Great. And there's kind of six steps that I first read about in that workbook, Healing for Damaged Emotions. If despondency is your friend these days, meaning not your friend, mm -hmm. if you are struggling with despondency, with the emptiness, with the sense of unworthiness, with feeling like you're never going to be enough, you're never going to be perfect enough, with finding yourself being hypersensitive to everything or filled with fears, number one, see how this lines up uh, psychologically. Face your problem squarely. That's what Evagrius is saying, right? Steadfastness is, is what yeah, he's saying. Stand fast and address it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Name this is good. The reality. Face your problem squarely, number one. Number two, accept your responsibility, even for your own woundedness. Something bad happened to you, but chances are your reaction to it or the lie that you told yourself you cooperated with that lie. Like something bad happened to me. I must not be worthy enough. And I cooperated with that for 30 years until I had a breakthrough. Face your problem squarely, accept your responsibility. Number three, ask yourself if you want to be healed. Hmm. You know, Jesus met this guy at the pool of Bethsaida in Jerusalem. You can still visit where the pool is. And he, for 38 years, he was by the side of the pool. And if you got in the pool, when the water was stirred up, there was healing properties in it. And he could never get anybody to get him to the pool, so he said. And so Jesus said, do you want to be healed? A lot of us would rather manage our misery than we would risk the joy of not approaching life the way that we always have. Oh, yeah. I see people who are afraid to change. They're afraid because it's unpredictable. And, and people think that familiar is comfortable. Just because it's familiar doesn't mean it's comfortable. But sometimes they'll prefer that familiarity, um, the fear of, you know, maybe I'll fail at the changes I'm making or, you know, there are a bunch of reasons why the people resist that. Because it seems kind of uh, at face like, of course, they want to be healed. Uh-uh, not always. Right. Right. It's part of who I am. It's just who I am. Or yeah, my identity. They would rather deal with the hell of a predictable situation than risk the heaven uh -huh. of something new. What would be an example of how that plays out in some of your patients? 
going to sleep on time, treating yourself that way because um, they don't want to do that. They know it'll, they'll feel better sometimes, but you know, I just need more of me time uh, or diet. That's really diet because people like food is very reinforcing, right? And people fear giving up certain foods. All this fear comes in around food, uh, just all sorts of things, leaving a relationship, right? There's an abusive relationship, you know? I mean, up here, clearly above the shoulders, they know that it's an abusive relationship. I see that all the time, but they're afraid of letting go um, and being different, you know? Yeah. Losing. Yeah. What will it be like? Losing the, um, like one in a bazillion chance that the person's going to change, but they still won't let go of that hope, you know? See it all the time. Mm-hmm. That kind of goes back to facing your problem squarely. Yes, it does. Because we look, we overlook all this crap Mm -hmm. and uh, we deny our reality. What happens to a fear if we don't face it? What happens to the fear? It grows. It grows, Mm -hmm. right? It definitely grows. So what we do, if if someone has a a phobia, right? Dogs or something, because a dog bit them at one time, we, we, we do what's called gradual exposure or prolonged exposure, which means facing it. Going to what did it say in the Avengers? Like there's a line that Thor said, um, a hero runs towards um, danger, runs towards danger, doesn't run away from danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that totally lines up with facing your problem squarely. Number two, accept your responsibility in it. You've allowed it, you've maintained it, you've fed it. You know, a lot of times it's a sinful behavior and we we don't spend time putting it away from us, we spend our lives managing it. That works too. Why do you think that works? I've got an idea. Why would it, because in a way you, you know, it could be, well, you know, it's not your fault. It's not my fault. I got dealt a bad hand. That doesn't make you feel better. What does the other thing work? Because it creates new pathways being done with it. It does. Um, and, and, and also we get to have some power back. When we admit what we did, that was, that's what was really good about repentance. And if you truly repent, because the closer we get to God, the more we see our sins. That's been the case since day one with me, right? But when I saw them for the first time, you, if, if it's a proper confession, repentance, you're probably going to have some real powerful emotions of sorrow, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. how you'll know. Yeah, which is a gentle emotion. It is. If you don't fight it, it is. Yes. If you don't resist it. Again, facing it, right? That's what we're talking about with with letting yourself do that Mm -hmm. is you're not fighting against it. You're facing it, confronting Mm -hmm. it. And there's more to do. So you face your problem squarely. You accept your responsibility of it, that you Uh managed it or kept it or held on to it. Number three, you ask yourself, do I want to be healed? And and be truthful in your answer. Number four, forgive everyone involved in your problem. Mm -hmm. And that includes number five, forgiving yourself. The best, the best description I heard of forgiveness in a long time was the idea of forgiveness is like bolt cutters. Because my unforgiveness, my lack of forgiveness of you or my parents or the situation or God or anything kept me chained to that situation. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm punishing them when all I'm doing is punishing myself by not forgiving. And it's not like I'm saying it's okay. It didn't matter. I'm saying, no, I'm just going to be done with this defining my life and that act of forgiveness. And you need God's strength to do that. You can lean fully on God to do that. 
because God has taken care of all of it on the cross. Yeah. Christ fellers, that's yeah. what we would say. And so forgiveness is more like bolt cutters than it is like anything else. Break the chain of whatever has tied you to that situation, including the despondency. Do you think that what it is, is it's, 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 you allow, accept the forgiveness that Christ has for you. Just accept it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's number five, forgive yourself. Yeah. That's what I, that was the one I was kind of like, yeah, because I think that's really important because people are horrible to themselves. They, 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 they're so tough on themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, these small things, when some, a lot of people, like maybe almost everyone that comes to see me, they've got a secret and it's been gnawing at them. Okay. And oftentimes when they tell me what that secret is, my reaction is that's it. That was what was bothering you. But I understand why it was bothering them because we're so tough on ourselves. We, we so forgive people for the things that we hold, keep score on ourselves for, right? Do you, have you seen that? Oh, so much. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet it kind of, that's holding on to the fears that's holding on to it and it just grows. It just festers and it worms its way into other areas of your life. I mean, that's these damaged emotions. It's what they do. It's despondency. It's what it does. It saps you from the one problem and worms its way into your relationships, into your work life, into your spiritual life and your finances. Great point, man. I'm glad that you said it because one thing that people need to know is it's sneaky. Yeah. Despondency is very sneaky and, 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 and you'll be struggling from it. And, and that sense, that vague sense of something's wrong. I don't know what it is. It may very well be that. Yeah. Like you said, it seeps into everything. And that ties in with the last point of this biblical approach for those who like to write things down. Number one, face your problem squarely. Number two, accept your responsibility in it. Number three, ask yourself if you want to be healed. Number four, if so, forgive everyone involved in your problem. Number five, forgive yourself. And number six, and this is key, ask the Holy Spirit to show you your real problem. Mm. How much digging as a psychologist when someone comes to see you with an issue, there's the surface level issues, and then there's the deeper issues. What percentage of your time is spent on the behavioral issues versus the deeper issues of thinking or attitude? It goes back and they're connected, right? But it does take time to get some depth. Those are surface stuff early on. That's where you're collecting and looking for patterns. Um, and then when you find the patterns then you can categorize those, but that's the goal. The second thing that you said is the goal. You want to get to at the deep patterns because those are pervasive. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when you get to that, a multitude of problems go away because that was at the heart of it. How much of psychology is correcting people's wrong thinking? How much of it is correcting people's wrong behavior? Um, it's both cognitive behavioral therapy is really kind of the, what, what, what most of us are doing because we're one thing we can't divide ourselves up in that way because um certain behaviors elicit certain thoughts and certain thoughts elicit certain behaviors so it's really reciprocal me i I think i'm more of a behaviorist than anything else because um i i got to get people moving they didn't come to just talk they need their lives changed and so um I, i i say lead with the behavior whenever possible Right. And then, um, like, for instance, motivation, you know, don't wait for motivation to come <laughs> move and Never create the motivation. Will. Yeah, it doesn't probably won't. Right. When you learn the power of choosing, you learn the power of your choice and how you can create new ways. And if this feels overwhelming to anybody, one of my favorite passages is the whole chapter of Romans chapter eight. 
in the Bible, in the New Testament, written by Paul to the Christ followers in Rome. But in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, here's what it says. In the same way, the Spirit, meaning the Spirit of God with us, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts, meaning God, the Spirit, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That is what happens. I have a patient right now that she's never felt just horrible abuse in the past and things like that. So, but she, she's, she says that she's never felt that before, but my experience of when I've, you know, really came to that, what you're describing, it really didn't seem like it was my choice. It was my choice to ask for it and seek it, but it did seem like it came from without me. Wow. But if you think about it, it's not really that unusual because where do thoughts come from? Every once in a while you have an intrusive thought that you're like, what the heck was that? You know, and it's not like you, you sat around and formulated it. You know, it's like, where did it come from? We don't know. So lots of things come from without us. You know, your language right now. I don't know what I'll have a different thought because it'll come from you. That's from without, you know, not from within. So it's not that unusual to um, I think that the reason what and I'll ask you, why do you think? more people don't have that experience of what you just read in Romans. I think it's so countercultural hmm. from what we learn. I think it's so countercultural from the patterns of the world that we see that we're supposed to pick ourselves up, that we're not supposed to have these problems or that we're supposed to be identified by all of the victimization that I've been through or all the pigeonholing of people who say this or think this mm -hmm. and they blame systems in the world when so much of it comes from my own heart. I think that's a good explanation. What I love about this topic is by us tackling this, by people looking into being done with their despondency, people looking into healing these damaged emotions, an image that comes to my mind is that God is as pleased with you working on your healing mm. as some loving parents are whenever their child is learning to walk. That's good. Yeah. As a mom and dad are watching their baby learn to walk, they're so proud. They're so pleased. God is that pleased and that in love with you learning to walk in this way through your healing. Yeah. And we like have a res responsibility or a desire to please. It helped me early on to, to read that, you know, you were bought with a price because, you know, I thought I was mine. I'm not mine. I didn't create me. I don't belong to me. And it was kind of a relief. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do not have that kind of burden on me. A, a few other things. That's a really practical list. I'm glad that you brought that into this discussion because I think people can use those. So, you know, review it a few times or, or write it down if, if, if someone, because this is a spiritual depression and um, we want to get out of it as quickly as possible. A couple other things that I read that, that can help is first of all, the getting your stance. Right. Because you're going to have to, if you're going to take a hit, don't be on your heels. Don't be backing up. You got to be steadfast. Right. That's really important. That's the attitude. Uh, but, and sometimes we have to wait. Right. Some, who's that guest that we had really uh, last year? Um, your friend, she's a high up in the um, Methodist church. Yeah. Kim Reisman, Dr. Kim. Yeah. Reisman. She had a really good, uh, people might want to visit that one because she really talked about what it's like to wait. 
and how important it is. And that's a pattern. So just because you pray for it right now, I noticed a pattern. If I prayed for something, um, it would be like two days or a day sometimes if it's a big thing. And then it would happen. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes we forget about them because it's been a day or something, but you know, our time, we want instant gratification, push the button, you know, out comes the candy bar, the Zagna, whatever. Right. So but it's not always like that. So that's other things to be patient. Another practice um, and, um, is, you know, what memento mori is practice. Memento mori. Remember your death. Now this can be terrifying for some people, but what it does is it puts the, um, you know, existential universal hugeness of what's happening right now because this is a miracle that we're having this it's a miracle if you were to contemplate that because when i was a kid i would think thoughts like that and it would blow my mind like how am i here what is happening and it's just so it could go either way though for for some people it could be terrifying but to remember that you will you'll have this moment and maybe you'll be aware at this moment when you are dying right now that sounds morose but it's been very helpful for um you know, Christians to contemplate that puts things into perspective, mm -hmm. especially if you have the hope of the resurrection. Oh gosh. Yeah. If yeah, there's so much to the idea that this is not all there is and it's yeah. not just wishful thinking for people. If you think about life, life is about learning to lose. It's about, <laughs> yes, you lose your hair, you lose your yes. health, you lose your friends, you lose. Eventually it's letting go. And Jesus said that unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains one little seed. But when it does, it produces a whole crop. That's so good. And, and you know what? Letting go feels good. Jack Cornfield's a psychologist. He's a Buddhist. He said something. I don't want to butcher this, but um, his teacher said, um, if you want a little happiness, let go a little. If you want a lot of happiness, let go a lot. Let go of everything and you'll be free. Mm -hmm. kind of had it backwards but you know that's that's the idea so if you let go because that's kind of how it is like even giving away stuff because we're so tight-fisted and oh we God. have this need to accumulate especially with our western american mindset more is better more stuff how how much I do i think i need and it'll still never be enough but greed and covetedness is it's an awful feeling it's so awful to feel like I don't have enough, no matter what I have. Well, no wonder people are feeling despondency. Yeah. I think that during the COVID thing, it really um, ramped it up, mm -hmm. you know, um, we're, we're, we're in fear and the boredom and look, it, it also shows up as video game playing, for instance, right? Just mindless activities. And then what caused that to, to occur, mm -hmm. right? Um, love agape is the way out. That is the way out. And if we're and love of self will interfere with that overemphasis, let's say um, over concern with self, what you have, what people think of you or whatever that that will prevent self-centeredness, self-centeredness. Exactly. And I, I think this exercise of people working on moving out of despondency, being done with it, not just managing it, being mm -hmm. done with it, the search for, for these steps of this biblical approach for healing, like a, toddler learning to walk yes and and what happens when we do this i think it that we allow god to speak to us i think god is waiting for us to be open enough to hear that we could allow god to speak to our security we could allow god to yes. speak to our self-worth we could allow god to speak to our significance in his eyes and and that's enough you quoted the 
church father, the desert father from the fourth century, what was it that he named? Those ideas that I'm talking about now are basically his ideas because I needed to, to study that. Um, he thought that love is the way out. Agape, love is the way out. He thought that the roots were anger and um, self-love. And then when we say self-love, we're not talking about have low self-esteem and that's not the goal. It's a preoccupation with the self, you know, so it's pretty complicated. Uh, we don't have a great word for that in English. I always thought despondency meant, oh, I'm about to give up. And okay, that's maybe an element of it, but this is so much more complex, right? Because what it is, is the awareness of, this is Evagrius, right? It's the awareness of your spiritual nature and that God is with you. And how can you feel anything but joy when you have that? This is often called the noonday demon, because the monks would pray on the hours, right? The pray, pray the hours. And um, by noon, just, just listless, lackluster. I don't want to do this. All the life was drained out of it. Um, that's what the church fathers were, the ones that I'm reading say about that. Yeah. When you're in the middle of a bunch of stuff, uh -huh. you can start saying, what is this all for? What yes. does this all mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and for me, um, I need to follow my prayer rule. When I do morning you know, in a, in a very ritualistic way where I can get some beauty and, and all that stuff in, in that. Um, and, that, and then also in the evening, that next morning is so different, right? Because I'm, we want to be looking towards heavenly things, higher things. And this world does everything it can to suck us in, create desire, passions, fears, anger. So we got to be in shape. And look, if, if you're not despondent right now, then um, pick up the pace because it's going to come. And you're going to struggle with it, right? So you may as well practice now when you feel like it. Yeah, yeah. A couple other practical things I think that, that I'm taking from this. The first one is to avoid being alone all the time. Uh-huh, yes. And, and to seek help from others. Yes. Well, I mean, how can you lo love? I mean, you, it's complete in its fullness when there's a person in front of you right. that you're loving, right? Right. And I think about people who have walked with me through different seasons of my life and spiritual journeys. And, and that's where so much meaning happens. And, and our world says, no, it's all about you, you know, and what you're going through. But it's, we weren't designed to be alone from the we beginning of scripture. It says that. It causes us to die. We talked on that one show about, um, you know, longevity. You know, mm -hmm. the, the studies that we've done and the highest correlating factor with longevity is good relationships. And yet despondency causes us to want to be done with all that. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a thief of, of joy and love. Yeah. And it's subtle too. It's a sneaky one, kids. You got to really be looking for it. You might not see it. Mm -hmm. It'll see mm -hmm. you first. Right. Right. Yeah. Some other things that, that I found in the Healing for Damaged Emotions book by David Siemens was avoid being alone, seek help from others, sing and make music. For sure, that, that's brought uh, so much joy because at different times, you know, you don't you just step away from the instrument, don't do it. But when I'm, when I'm doing that, man, then it just really changes everything. And if it's not music for you, find something. Like when we were kids, we just lived to play, mm -hmm. right? Couldn't wait. We would always find something to do and we didn't get anything out of it except for the joy of playing, especially with our friends, right? Yeah. Find that thing every day to give it where, you know, you don't, you're not getting paid to do it or anything like that. You're just developing it or doing it, especially if it's something that you can do socially. Oh yeah. I think the enemy of our souls hates it when we find play. I think so too. 
And I think that's one of the challenges today for kids is everything is in the box. Everything is in the video game, everything's uh, in the framework or the system. And they don't just go out and explore the same way that we did. They don't, they don't just make stuff up. Yeah. You know, that, that the, the free range kid movement is trying as a, a return to that because the literature on that stuff, when you're over controlled, over scheduled, told how to do that. Like when we played, like we used to play uh, baseball and mm -hmm. softball, right? Mm -hmm. We organized that game. There was no adult setting the rules or parameters or officiating right. or anything like that. We organized the game. We went around the neighborhood. Who wants to play mm -hmm. or football or whatever like that? That is everything's controlled. Well, not maybe not everything, but too much is controlled right now. Yeah, yeah. And then how do you learn to knock on somebody's door and say, "Hey, can you come out? We're going to play kick the can." Right. Yeah. Interesting. So praise and give thanks. Sing, make music, lean heavily on God's word and rest confidently in the presence of God's spirit in the midst of your despondency. Mm. Allow him into it before you think you're going to let go of it, if that makes sense. That does make sense to me. I had to think about that for a second. That does make sense. So being able to name the reality, facing your problem squarely, despondency is consuming me. It's in my life. It's going on or nothing's going on mm -hmm. and this is how i feel god meet me here good stuff I, I that's about what i have on despondency man i'm still learning about it i love studying it though oh it's such an incredibly all-encompassing word that has so many specific applications for so many areas of our lives today let's keep this going okay let's do um can you pray i would love to lord i thank you so much that you meet us in our heart of hearts. You meet us in our darkness, in our emptiness, the cave, in the hole, in our heart. We were designed for you to fill us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our sense of security. You would speak to our sense of self-worth, that we are of infinite value to you, unrepeatable miracles, I'm, as cliche as that sounds. Lord, that, that you have designed us to explore and to discover. And God, that you are proud of those of us who are seeking to walk through this healing as much as a dad is proud of his little girl learning to take her first steps. Lord, I pray that you would help us take our next step with you, trusting that you are aware of our infirmities and wanting us to be with you in them and wanting us to allow you to lead us out of them. God, I pray that you would continue to be with us as we look to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.